And all you do is you fill that out and that will help you procrastinate less for less time because it moves that emotion from a negative one to a positive one. It's really simple. Welcome to today's podcast episode. This episode is such a good one. It's a good one because it is just full of science-backed self-help brought to you by Edwina Stott. Edwina, also known as Ed, is the host of That's Helpful Pod. And Edwina has been on the podcast before. I adore speaking with her. I love her podcast as well. And so this episode is one where Edwina is sharing some of her top lessons in, I guess, self-improvement and transformation, really, and the things that Ed wants to bring with her into this year ahead. We talk about motivation, how to beat procrastination and why procrastination even occurs and why it is so crippling at times. We speak about intuitive eating. We talk about exercise and how to actually unlock a positive mindset around exercise. We get into sleep hygiene and interpreting dreams, tapping into your own intuition and your own inner knowing. There's so much goodness in today's podcast episode. I know you're going to really love this one. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Jump on over, check out Ed's podcast as well, the That's Helpful Pod. The link is directly in the show notes. Make sure if you love this episode, slide into my DMs and let me know. I thoroughly enjoyed having this conversation and I hope you enjoy it too. Just quickly, a word from today's sponsors. Unless, of course, you're one of our Venti members. In that case, there are no ads and your episode is about to keep playing. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Edwina, thank you so much for coming back onto the podcast. It's a pleasure to see you and to talk to you. It is such a joy to be back. We were just talking before you hit record, but it's so great to talk to another fellow podcaster about the trials and tribulations because when you're working on your own, you know, it just becomes this echo chamber and those mean voices in your head, they kind of get a little bit loud. So it's really nice to talk to someone who also goes through this. It is so true because there are certain things that you'll say to people who aren't in the industry and you're like, you can just tell it's not landing. Whereas I literally just said to you, Edwina, I hate social media. And you're like, yes, let's unpack that. I'm like, okay, (laughs) this is a safe space. Same. Yeah, it's tricky. Like I think, uh, and people listening to this, like if they're working solo too, or they've got like a side hustle or something they're really passionate about, 
they like building up that group of people is really something that I've been trying to do um like last year and into this year I really want to build up like those friends and those people who also like have their own thing going on like I've got an amazing friend who um runs like a forest therapy um sessions and she's doing that and like another amazing friend who does podcasting and a writer friend and like having those people who are trying to do their own things and trying to create new careers that perhaps haven't existed before is really reassuring because like we were talking about before there's no roadmap for this like people will say oh have you tried this have you tried that maybe this would be helpful but when you you feel like you're out here on a permanent experiment and sometimes you're like am I doing something ridiculous should I just go and get a normal job and then you talk to somebody like you and you connect and it's like no okay we're both going through this this is a normal human experience we will be feeling this regardless it's so reassuring And it's such a human thing to just feel frustrated regardless, I think. Like I have had so many conversations recently, uh, particularly with Brendan, where I will say to him, like, I am so lonely in podcasting that I actually miss being a hairdresser and being in a hair salon. And then I think, well, hang on, that was really overwhelming and I found that really chaotic and I craved being alone. So it's just also like (laughs) noticing the human condition is kind of part of focusing on the problems and it's like, oh, I've got to reframe this. Oh, totally. And I was listening, like I listen to so many podcasts myself, but I was listening to, I listen a lot to the Happiness Project, which I absolutely love um, with Dr. Laurie Santos. She runs like a big happiness university course in the US. Anyway, they had like a guest podcast on and it was an episode of Oprah's Super Soul Sunday love over so I was like yeah okay check it out anyway they were talking about um like their formula for happiness she's just written this book with this guy and he was saying that you know so often now we expect to not feel any negative emotions because of the way social media is portrayed and the way that things are sold to us now in like this consumerist society that we live in. It's like, oh, well, if you're feeling a negative emotion, something's wrong, that needs fixing. If you're feeling this, something's wrong, that needs fixing. And he was like, I run this course at Harvard. My students come to me and they go, I'm really stressed out and I have anxiety. He's like, yeah, you're studying at Harvard. That, it, it's I would be worried and I would, t- yeah, I would be worried and I would tell you that you needed to go to therapy if you didn't have anxiety studying at Harvard. And I think like for so many of us, it's like, this is just the normal like seesaw of everyday life. But when you're working on your own, it kind of becomes exacerbated, right? I also think perhaps for our age group as well ish, right? Because we're now seeing the overcorrection with trigger warnings and content warnings for everything. And it's a real uh, dichotomy, I think, of being like, no, no, we've also lived through this time where it's like, no, no, pull up your your bootstraps and get on with it. Whereas now it's like, how do you feel? Do you need to know that this content is coming up? Like it's, it's different. That's so true. Like, where's the middle line? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a struggle I have all the time, even with with so many things because of the way we grew up and the way the world is now. Like, if you think about the amount of technology, the amount of change in that time, 
it's it's like a bit of whiplash you've got like from trying to adjust to the new way of living and the way that you were told everything would be when you grow up and then what it's like now it's like whoa, whoa hang on I just need to recalibrate a second right yes it's so true even just speaking about that I think is helpful just putting words around that kind of correction or overcorrection, perhaps in some areas of going mm. no no it is really appropriate that you feel stressed and anxious particularly if you yes. are studying at Harvard it's like with my kids you know like they'll often grumble about going to school and I'll say to them yeah it sucks like it's, yeah that sucks school sucks sometimes like yeah. I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you I'm not gonna mm-hmm. tell you it's gonna be the best day ever because you're gonna go and you might feel uncomfortable and you might not understand things and you know you're gonna go through those emotions and you will be okay yeah totally it's just a part of normal human life isn't it it is so you and I are going to chat about the things that you are going to be doing differently this year. Some of the lessons that you've learned yourself from your podcast. I am really excited about this because the brilliant joy of having a podcast, as you'll know, is that you get to speak to people who are way more clever than you. And just purely from the fact that you have a microphone in front of you, people will talk to you and they're really clever people. So like throughout 2023, I think like so far I've been running my podcast for 18 months. So far I've spoken to a hundred of the world's leading expert in self-improvement and it's genuinely made a difference in my life. There are some things that you hear, you know, and like you guys all know, listening to podcasts and stuff, you kind of pick and choose what's appropriate for you. And some things you'll just like eye roll and be like, oh, that's ridiculous. But there are some things that are like really meaningful that genuinely make a difference. And there's five things that I'm absolutely implementing in 2024 that I'm really excited about. The first one that has absolutely blown my mind is procrastination because if you work at home on your own it is your nemesis is this something you struggle with Kylie a little bit a little bit (laughs) (laughs) yes massively do you know what this is Mm. back to what we were saying earlier about being lonely sometimes I just feel like I could drop the kids to school Ed and I could come home and I could just lie on the floor all day and no one would know any differently because there's not that accountability like I I wouldn't do that and I don't do that because there's always a million things to do but that procrastination or that paralysis by analysis feeling is something I know very very well particularly with ADHD I just am like holy shit there's a million things I need to do so I'll just do none A hundred percent. And so this is where the key lies. So I had this amazing, amazing professor on. She's called Professor Fuchsia Siwa. And she's a researcher. She's originally from Canada, now works in the UK at Durham University, I think. Anyway, she has been studying procrastination for 20 years, which is absolutely phenomenal. So if this woman doesn't know a thing or two about procrastination, we're absolutely screwed. Lucky she does. I spoke to her and I'm going to tell you the top bits. But what she said, like you just said there, is that what procrastination is caused by is the inability to properly process negative emotions. This sounds like a really big deal, right? Like it's a 
hugely defunct part of us, but it's not at all. It's such a normal human thing. So like for you, when you come home and think, holy crap, I've got so much to do, but I could just lie on the floor. That's like general overwhelm, right? And so the emotion that you, the negative emotion that you could be feeling, it could be like just general boredom. It could be sadness, any kind of discomfort you want to uh, avoid in that particular task that you want to do. And it doesn't have to be one task. Like for you, it could be like the just this ridiculous, ginormous um, to-do list that you've got. Anyway, you're feeling that negative emotion and it's like a coping mechanism for humans is that procrastination can be really effective in helping us avoid that uncomfortable feeling and immediately switching us over to pleasure. So like, what are we going to do? We're going to scroll our phones. That's going to give us a dopamine hit. Go and look what's in the fridge. Maybe get a little snack. That's going to give us a dopamine hit. Maybe we're going to go on Netflix, right? So all the things that we generally procrastinate with are to replace that negative emotion that we don't want to properly process. So instead of going to the pleasure immediately, what we need to do is think about reframing that negative emotion. And obviously, like it's really important to recognize when we're thinking about this, the difference between procrastination and genuine delay. So like for you, you might have like the boys call up from school and then they've forgotten like their book bag, then you should drop that off. Like for sure, that's not procrastination, right? You've got to go and do that. And what Fuchsia says is that for a lot of the time, like we'll see those things, then we'll be like, oh, I'm bloody procrastinating again because we're really hard on ourselves. But you have to recognize the difference between genuine delay and some things that, you know, like a really important email comes in, you have to deal with that first. Like that's that's fine. Absolutely. And she said that like literally everybody in the world procrastinates, even her. So it's really important to recognize that and not beat yourself up. That is such helpful information, Ed, because I tend to tell myself a story that if my environment was different, I wouldn't procrastinate. But it's not true because I could go and hire out a co-working space and I would do exactly the same Mm -hmm. thing. You can always escape into your phone. You know, we just can do that. Whereas I have found myself thinking, oh, because I work from home, I procrastinate. I put on a load of washing and I wipe the bench and I did it, did it, did it. But I would do that anywhere if what I'm doing yeah. is avoiding that discomfort. Totally, 100%. And um, so she has a solution to that. But just before I get to that, I was talking to another amazing woman uh, called Rebecca. I can't remember her second name. It'll come to me in a second. Anyway, she's written a book about how to work solo. And so what she told me is that when you're working on your own, naturally your brain can kind of focus for like 45 minutes and then you'll kind of come out of your focus state and you'll need a little distraction. So like if you're in an office, that's when you go over and like see how your co-worker's day was or you go and make a cup of tea or something like that. Well, when you're at home, that's when you go and wipe the bench, you go and put the load of washing on. And because you're doing home tasks, it feels like you're wasting time when actually they're just natural dips in our attention. Plus, she told me that we are only actually capable of working in like deep focus, effective work four hours per day. 
even Einstein couldn't work more than four hours per day. So if you are working on something, you feel like you're not getting enough done, stop beating yourself up because nobody is capable of doing more of that deep work. Like you might do that deep work and then you might do some like emails or, you know, some planning or, you know, some of those less mind taxing tasks. But realistically, we are only capable of four hours a day. That definitely changed my worldview when I heard that. No, I was going to say that definitely tracks because I know I have my most productive days when I will do 45 to 50 minutes of a task and then I'll do a lap around the block with the dogs or I will hang up the washing or just do something else that allows me to kind of come out of that flow state and then go back into it. That's definitely something I've learned over the last couple of years. What's helped me is to schedule in two, four, because uh, I work best in the mornings, like wherever it works for you, you have to make this work for like your um, cycle of focus and, you know, with your circadian rhythms. But what I found, if I schedule two 45 minute blocks in the morning, specifically for deep focus work, so like not for checking my calendar, not for checking my download stats, not for checking anything other than that, like deep focus work where I really need to concentrate. If I get those two 45-minute gaps, 45-minute stints with 15 minutes in between, my productivity is so much better for the day. Just like winning those two 45-minute blocks makes such a difference. It's, I've really, that has really changed the way I work in the day. Yeah, I like the idea of time blocking in that way because I've even found recently that lists aren't even working very well for me because I'll look at the list and I'll be overwhelmed by it. Whereas I think, okay, if I just do block and go, okay, 45 minutes, don't touch your phone, don't look at anything else because (laughs) I remember hearing- timer. Yes, I remember hearing somewhere Mm -hmm. and I can't remember where it was. It would have been a podcast for sure, but- someone was talking about how if you are interrupted by a text message, even if it only takes you like 10 or 20 seconds to read it and respond, it takes you something like 12 to 15 minutes to actually get back to the same level of focus that you are at. Yes. And I might be completely butchering the times there, but it was no, something. No, that's true. Yeah. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. It was something that made me go, oh, shit. Yeah, you think like, oh, it'll take me 10 seconds to do that. But really, it disrupts your flow so significantly. Totally. It's so true. And so with procrastination, um, Professor Siwa has some pretty simple things that are going to change the way you view it. And I have one that I found really, really works for me. So there's three things she says that you've got to start doing. One is treat yourself with compassion. Like we said, know that everybody procrastinates. Do not beat yourself up about this because if you start being getting down on yourself, All of the studies have shown that negative self-talk do nothing to help you because that's just further negative emotion. So if you're kind to yourself, you accept that this happens, you know, you let it go, you don't get down on yourself, that's going to be a big deal. She said the other one is to um, feel a common humanity. So again, know that everybody does this. And then the last thing is replace the negative emotion with a more positive one. She mentioned that one of her PhD researchers found a meaningful reframe very effective so she's done proper clinical studies with different groups of people you know a group that did nothing so they were you know the standard test group then a group who did this mindfulness reframe and a group who did nothing and the group who did the meaningfulness reframe found they procrastinated for significantly less time and all they did was make themselves fill out three sentences 
So the thing that you uh, ask yourself is you get yourself to fill this out. You go, this task is meaningful because this task helps me grow as a person because this task is meaningful for others because... And all you do is you fill that out and that will help you procrastinate less for less time because it moves that emotion from a negative one to a positive one. It's really simple. And it makes it more bearable. Totally, totally. And you see why you're doing it. So for me... I, mine's a little bit of a switch up, but one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is how cruel and mean we are to our future selves. So we put off so much, right? I'm like, yeah, that's future Ed's problem. I don't care. Yeah, I'm not going to do that now. That's huge. And then you come back and you think, oh, crap, if I'd just done that, this would have been so much better. Like this 15 minute task has been hanging over me for the last four months. If I could have just done it, I'd avoided feeling so guilty and, you know, punishing myself for those four months. So one of the things that I do is I think about being kind to my future self. So when I really can't be asked doing something, I think, okay, I'm just going to start is the number one thing that I do. I think I'm just going to start no matter how small, like what's the first thing I can do? Generally, then that snowballs. But if you think about doing yourself a favor and how happy you're going to be with yourself when you look back and think, oh, yes, I did that. It's so worth it. And that works because A, it brings in the compassion. You're being kind to yourself. It reminds me of the, you, of the humanity of the problem because it gives you a bit of distance because you're talking about your future self. And the last thing is, is that it reframes the negative emotions. So instead of thinking, I really don't want to do that, you think, I really want to be kind to myself. And that has absolutely changed it for me. That has been a hack for me, thinking about being kind to my future self. I love that. And I like that you said, you know, you just start. That's something that I think is really, really powerful. And sometimes I will do that. I'll think to myself because my particular block is anything to do with life admin. I find it very painful. It's a, it's a, like, you know how people say like, oh, I'm bad at being an adult. I'm bad at life admin. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm deeply bad at those things and I find them (laughs) so painful it's a real problem and like you just said like I carry it around with me you know and it's something that I I could do within 15 minutes and it's going to cause me so much more stress and take so much more time you know a perfect example is Mm -hmm. I always forget when my rego is due I always forget when my license needs to be renewed like I'm just so bad at stuff but and also like with like applying for passports and mortgages and those sorts of yeah. things. But I have found that if I tell myself five to 10 minutes, 10 minute timer, I'm going to do as yes. much as I can in this 10 minute window. By the time I get to that 10 minute point, as you said, I've got momentum. And so it's easier Take- rather than the momentum yeah. of avoiding it building up. It's the momentum of keeping like keeping that ball rolling. So just starting so simple, so obvious, but it's honestly what I need to do. <laughs> Start for five to oh, ten minutes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I think so many people think, oh, I'll do it when the motivation hits me or oh, when I feel like it, I'll do it or eventually I'll feel like it. And I think that that's like a classic misunderstanding around motivation because from all the experts I've spoken to on the podcast – 
motivation isn't something that just strikes us. Action creates motivation. So once you start, like that's why the five minute thing works, right? Because once you get that momentum, things start to become easier. Things start to run away with themselves. You think, well, I've just done that. So I can do this. I can do that, right? You just, the five minute thing, it's been a big deal for me. Totally. One of the things that I lean on the most is rather than going, okay, I'm going to think my way into acting. It's no, no, I'm going to act my way into thinking. Yes. Yes. Love that. Love that. I'm stealing that. (laughs) That's going on the list for this year. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And so um, one of the other things I'm taking into um, 2024 that I'm using this year I've always been a big fan of this and if anybody listens to the podcast they'll know that I'm a huge intuitive eating fan do you know about intuitive eating Kylie yeah yeah well I mean I'll give you my understanding of intuitive eating it's about really disregarding the food rules and actually listening to your body what do you feel like eating what do you enjoy eating and what do you feel good after eating and also just having compassion for when you do eat something that you maybe don't feel so great you're like yeah well that's what I needed it's like seeing it more it's not so much like a good bad pure evil type thing it's more like this is what my body wanted and needed totally that's it and I think for again for people who grow up our generation uh you know with uh you know all those conversations around body size and the normality like we're seeing it come back now on social media you know the fact that Bridget Jones weighed 135 pounds and thought she needed to lose weight we're all like what excuse me you know Monica and Rachel and the constant jokes and you just think holy crap no wonder so many of us have these issues around food But I spoke to a brilliant woman on the podcast and she is a nutritionist and she has this um, element to intuitive eating, which is called gentle nutrition, which is kind of the secret to eating healthily without a diet that's not going to make you feel bad. So like you said, intuitive eating is the premise that your body knows what you need. You just have to trust it. And if you've been yo-yo dieting for years, this can be absolutely freaking terrifying, but it's so worth pushing for it through and it's all about taking the time to genuinely taste what you're eating eat mindfully and when you do that what I found started to find at least is that so many of the foods that I was craving I actually didn't even like the taste of so when you take the time to actually eat them and start to you know actually enjoy them you think actually this isn't nice like I don't want this anymore and you take all that exoticism and that mysticism out of food so if you want to start with this definitely check out the book by Elise Resch and Evelyn Tribbley uh, Intuitive Eating I also have a couple of episodes with Elise which I absolutely love chatting with her so she'll break it down way better than I can but if you take this premise one step further like you said Kylie um, and you don't just think about how the foods taste in the moment, but how the foods actually make you feel. This is going to make eating healthily so much easier because once you can find the mindful eating, genuinely think about how things taste and combining it with noticing how foods make you feel, you'll find a whole new sort of motivation to eat more healthily and you'll get more in touch with your body because I think so many of these foods, like the, I think they call them hyperpalatable foods, you know, the foods that are like specifically designed to be addictive. When you eat those and you 
you know, they have like 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 that those satiety cues like the crunch or the saltiness or the sweetness and you just want more and more and more but when you actually take the time to think about how they taste and whether or not they're actually making you feel good it can be way easier to to not eat them or eat less of them and if you don't demonize those foods as well and you'll find that you don't obsess over them because i heard this crazy study the other day that no smoking signs so you know like if there's signs on the street that say no smoking here they actually make smokers smoke more because it makes you think about smoking yeah right and that's the same like if you're banning yourself from food or kind of trying to practice that total abstinence on certain types of food you just end up wanting it more it is so true I've spoken to people about binge Mm. eating as well and they talk about binge eating in terms of it's such a punish because you tell yourself that you're going to restrict. So therefore you have this idea in your mind that this is the last chance. You can only eat it today. You can only eat it right now, even though you know intrinsically that's a lie and you're going to fall into the same Mm -hmm. pattern tomorrow or the next day or whenever. But it is, it's that urgency and scarcity mindset. Whereas when you do just allow yourself to eat it, if you feel like it and you can know, oh, I can go and buy another block tomorrow or whatever it is. Totally. You you begin to free yourself from that thinking of good, bad, and just connecting your, I guess, your morality as well to food. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that's helped me to kind of, you know, for, for so long I was in that like restrict binge diet cycle that was just awful and now I don't even think about it which is I know such a blessing and I feel very privileged and that you free up so much mind space for that yeah absolutely I think I was saying this not long ago on social media as someone that's had an eating disorder and just I've been so preoccupied with food in my early 20s mm-hmm. it is still such a novel to me that novelty to me that I can open the freezer now and forget that we have ice cream in there because you know totally. ten, 10 years ago I would have been obsessed knowing that there was ice cream there and I would have been so focused on not eating the ice cream until I caved and ate all of the ice cream or even <laughs> you know like making cookies the other day with the kids and I was having some of the batter it didn't send me into a spiral I'm like oh that was a spoonful of batter it didn't make me go oh well now the day's written off and I've got to go and eat you know 20 million other things that are quote unquote bad for me so I love that 100 that's, that's such a powerful lesson and I it's one that all I think every woman can relate to yeah, it's really life-changing. And the other thing is that like this kind of intuitive eating, gentle nutrition approach has also like moved for me into exercise. I'm like always exercise. I've always quite liked moving my body. But this probably, well, last year has probably been the first year where I've actually stuck to a consistent workout regime, like uh, going to the gym five days a week, which sounds like a lot. But I absolutely have found the movement in my body that I actually love. And I think about not so much the external results. I don't think about like how I'm going to look or um, whether I'm going to fit into a dress or whether I'm going to lose weight. I think about how it's going to make me feel in the same way you think about how those foods are going to make you feel. And that is so motivating when it comes to exercise. So this this whole approach has absolutely changed my life. Definitely keeping for 2024. 
I love that. And I will often get messages from people on Instagram and people will say, how do you stay motivated to work out in your garage? And I'm so honest. I say, if my option was to do no work, like no exercise or to go and do a boot camp, I would choose no exercise. I am able to exercise from home because that's what I love. I love that I can go in and I don't have to get dressed and I don't have to talk to anyone and I can be in my element Mm -hmm. and I can work like write my own workout. That's not a punish for me. I genuinely love that. But if you said to Mm. me, okay, Kylie, you've got to do Pilates every day, I wouldn't do it. So I think that like extending that intuitive uh, approach and also enjoyment lens is so important. Yeah, it's it's made a massive difference to my life because I think, again, you know, when we grew up, there was so much of exercise. It's like no pain, no gain. If it's not horrendous, it's not working. Yeah, a challenge. Bikini um, body. This is testing. Yeah, this is testing your willpower. Like you've got to push through this. Like if you put in the hours now, you're going to absolutely earn it. And it's like um, I'm only just realizing, A, what it feels like to exercise when I've actually eaten something and B, what it feels like to exercise in a way that I really love and isn't about punishing my body. It's actually about making it feel better and looking after it. And that again, that compassionate approach is just completely completely changed my whole uh, mindset around diet and exercise and now like when people talk to me about um dieting or like being good around food I'm just like oh I feel really bad for you that you're still like in that mindset because I know what it's like to live a life without those kind of horrible self-imposed rules that can control so much of your life and I kind of want to be like come on like I found the water's warm get in like this is is so great that's why my number one book that I recommend to everyone is intuitive eating because I'm just like this will change your lives yes I think realizing that there is no there there which sounds strange but because we get taught like you know once you get there once you lose this weight once you do this once you're like that but for me realizing oh there is no there there because once you get to that goal often you're still not happy there's that you know Mm -hmm. arrival fallacy And it's just like we're always so um, conditioned to be on this treadmill of striving, of striving, of striving. And it's like, well, well, what happens when we get there anyway? Like that's been the big thing for me is like there is no there there. So you do have to find something that is sustainable. Yeah. And that ties back to everything we were saying at the beginning, you know, when you start your own side hustle, you start your own project, like you really have to find the joy in doing (laughs) because the rewards aren't endless. Like the accolades aren't consistently coming. You you don't always have a paycheck coming in every week, you know, like you just don't. And to continue doing something like the podcast, like that's helpful for me, you have to really enjoy it and really find the joy in the doing. Otherwise, you know, you, you just wouldn't continue, would you? Yeah, absolutely. I love it. So, so the last thing, the, sorry, the other thing that I wanted to um, tell you about that I'm definitely bringing into 2024. So you can see there's a theme here. There's like work, health, exercise. And obviously a huge part of that is sleep. This is is wild. It's the most simple sleep hack you'll ever learn, but the rewards are massive. Is it math? So on the podcast, I... 
No, it's not, which I don't actually get. Do you mouth tape? <laughs> no, but I have tried it. And I did do it for a stint there only because I interviewed James Nestor. James Nestor, Nestor, who's yeah, written the book. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the breathing yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And after speaking to him, I was like, okay, I'm definitely going to do it. Um, and I did do it for a little bit, but I couldn't sustain it. And even <laughs> now, you imagine I, like how glamorous I'd look going to bed because I ha- I do like curly girls. So I wear like a tea towel wrapped a, t- a t-shirt wrapped around my head. I've got like my eye mask on. I've got like my gum shield. If I start taping my mouth too, my husband's going to be like, "Really, Ed? You're pushing it." <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny that that's where my mind went to when you put up sleep because I've seen people recently on social media yeah, share mouth tasting again thing. yes okay what is it so what's the reasoning behind that oh mouth taping it's because yeah to, it's apparently and I mean James goes into it in his book in terms of like our skull formation and things like that but we are designed yeah. to breathe through our nose. So overnight we're getting in that habit of breathing through our mouth and it does all sorts of things for our health and also just the way that our um, jaw sits like over time I believe is a big thing as well. Um, Interesting. And ja- I remember James talking about how you can get quite a long face as well in terms of, you know, you get hollow under your eyes and it can have all sorts of issues, which I can't even recall all of them at the moment. But, um, yeah, it's, it's to do with your, how your health. Interesting. Yeah. Well, 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 mine is not mouth taping. It's way, it's actually way easier and there's probably going to get fewer odd looks from your partner or whoever you choose to share a bed with. Um, so Dr. Penny Lewis from Cardiff University, she's in the UK and she engineers sleep to improve your brain function like that's her job that's all she does yeah this is a big deal for her so the basics are vital and what she talks about is um the process of sleep and the importance of sleep and she's found that they see direct correlations between the breakdown of sleep as people get older, you know, as older people struggle to sleep through the night or they struggle to even get to sleep, and atrophy or death of different parts of the brain as well as shrinkage and cell death. And they think that that's also like directly linked to dementia and even Alzheimer's disease. So as your brain ages, but what recent research has shown is that it's sleep is really important for flushing toxins out of the brain. And one of those toxins called beta amyloid is depositive in the brain over time and it can build up to form the plaques that are associated with Alzheimer's disease. So sleep can flush that out by up to 80% compared to when you're awake. And that is just one toxin that they've studied. So we don't know how many other toxins um, are being flushed out of your brain when you sleep. So that's one of the big revelations of her research. But what she says in terms of like getting a really good sleep cycle and prioritizing your sleep, because obviously it's so important and especially important as we get older. But the big one that I heard from Penny and I've also heard from other sleep researchers who've come uh, on the show before is that if you're struggling with your uh, sleeping regularly or even getting to sleep, we can get obsessed about our bedtime and getting to sleep at a certain time. But what's more important is to make sure that you get up at the same time every day. So if you get up at six on a weekday, make sure you're still doing that on the weekends because 
otherwise you can throw all of your circadian rhythms out. And one of the examples of this is like, if you think about if you've ever been to, um, you know, somewhere that's got like a two hour time difference, or, you know, an hour time difference, it really throws you out, like you feel jet lagged, even though it's only two hours. That's effectively what you're doing to yourself on the weekends or after a big night out, you really prioritize getting up at the same time each morning. And the other big one, is sticking to a sleep cycle that fits your body, not somebody else's. Um, Because our own circadian rhythms tend to dictate when we like to sleep. So like I'm a morning person. I love getting up early, but don't try and catch me after 8 p.m. because I will be in bed and my phone's on do not disturb. So I'll (laughs) be seeing you tomorrow. That's not happening. But for other people, you know, like my husband couldn't think of anything worse. Like he goes to sleep like midnight, 1 a.m. And the thing is, is that societal pressure that associates people going to bed later with like laziness, general, you know, unkemptness, which is just ridiculous, has forced us to think that we should be sleeping, you know, 10 p.m. until 6 a.m. And that's the only acceptable way. When in actual fact, if you listen to your body and your circadian rhythms, you're going to find your sleep is so much better because you're not trying to force it into a particular routine. And the, the big one that she talks about, the biggest one is wear an eye mask. They did massive studies because your brain absolutely loves it. So they've done studies, um, Penny at Cardiff University, and they found that people who wear an eye mask have a massively improved ability to learn lists of words. They have improved reaction times and they report feeling more well-rested after wearing the eye mask. So you can imagine like the uh, implications for that. If it improves your memory, your reaction times, you feel better. It's a big deal. You can pick them off up off Amazon for like two bucks. It's the best sleep hack. And I've started doing this myself and it's made a huge, huge difference to my sleep. Did you find it hard to get used to wearing it initially though? It- I've dabbled. I've dabbled in the sleep mask, but I always <laughs> inevitably end up ripping it off before I fall asleep. But I like the idea of it. Like it's very Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, it is. I did struggle. I really had to adjust to it because I have eyelash extensions. So like the one, the normal ones were like crushing my eyes. And I was like, I spend too much money on these to have them smushed against my face all night. Screw your brain. You lose this one. So I, I didn't wear that one. But then my husband bought me one that like sits just off my face. Um, and I did find that I would wake up and not have it on. Like I'd taken it off in my sleep. But I just kept on with it. And now I prefer wearing it to not wearing it. So she says you it will take some time to adjust. And initially, your sleep won't be better because you might be irritated by the eye mask. But with time, it's actually going to do your brain a lot of favors. So it's worth persevering. It's so interesting because my boys have a, um, they have autism and I've been learning about, you know, ways to keep them calm. And I read somewhere that you can fill up a snap lock bag with cold water and you rest that on your forehead and it's meant to sort of reset it's almost like diving under oh, cold interesting. water. And I did it with the boys and they loved it. But a snap lock bag of mm. water in bed with kids at night, not ideal. Wet sheets galore. <laughs> but Brendan <laughs> recently came home from the chemist with those eye masks that have the gel 
ball things inside them and you can pop them in the fridge or the freezer and the kids are now wearing those to fall asleep and one of my boys keeps it on all night it's so funny you walk in he's got this pink eye mask and it's like he's just having the best sleep of his life (laughs) but it has made such a difference to them in terms of overthinking because at bedtime they both tend to get a little bit spirally or stuck on thoughts Mm -hmm. and so there's always laborious conversation and lots of cuddles and all of that stuff but we've now started giving them these cool eye masks and it honestly Mm. has made such a difference to how quickly they fall asleep as well. Yeah, I've noticed that too. And I've started, because I used to like watch a little bit, like watch a bit of TV on my phone before I fell asleep or like honestly scroll and that's terrible. But now I put, yeah, right. But now, because when you're wearing the eye mask, you can't doom scroll, you can't watch TV. So now I'll put that on, I'll put a bit of the Calm app on. And honestly, I don't even get like three minutes into the meditation and I am cooked. It's so good. And I honestly feel like um, the quality of my sleep, if I do that before I go to bed, is improved massively. I have and, such a better night's sleep. And I know that you've also learned about interpreting your dreams. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yes, this is really cool. So I was I always used to think that like this was so woo-woo and like you know just because you dreamt that your teeth are falling out like this is going to mean that somebody's going to visit you at your doorway and you know like you know those really bizarre things like you look up in the dream dictionary. But actually there's a lot of research into this and it's brilliant. So when you think about it, of course, it's like the other side of your brain to when you're awake. So when you're sleeping, the areas of your brain that are responsible for logic and the areas that have been conditioned to believe we can only do things a certain way get turned down and your creativity and innovative brain get dialed up. And this is why sometimes you can learn to do things in your sleep. So like if you've been struggling with something when you're awake, you can have those breakthroughs in your sleep. And so many people had those stories. And you can also come up with new solutions so when you think about what your brain is doing when you're asleep and your dreams of course your dreams are going to offer you insights that you wouldn't ordinarily get while your brain is awake which is really interesting have you experienced that have you experienced learning something while you sleep no not that I can think of nothing's coming to mind but in terms of dreams this last year especially, I have lent more into trying to work out what they mean for myself. Mm-hmm. So just taking a moment to go, hang on, I had this dream and before it escapes me, try and hold on to it a little bit. And similar, I think, in the way that, you know how like you get signs from the universe. I always think that the meaning totally. is the meaning's what you make of it, right? Like it's something that I agree. it's happenstance, but you read into it and you attach meaning to it. And so I've been trying to do that a lot more with my dreams. Like go, okay, in my dream, XYZ happened. What do I 
think? Like, what does my intuition tell me that means? Yes, rather than going to Google and going, okay, I got bitten by a snake in my dream. What does that mean? Just going to my, I guess, subconscious a little bit and go, what does it, what do I think it means for me? Because it's so easy to not be in touch with our intuition. So easy. From our phones to our work to our children, if you have them, to your partners. Like there's so many things that are making bids for our attention. Like it's no wonder Mm -hmm. that we're all kind of a bit disconnected from that internal knowing. So that's been my experience with dreams lately. So you are crushing it because this is the exact way you should be interpreting your dreams. You do. You get an absolute gold star, five star, 100%. So I interviewed Professor Antonio Zadra from the University of Montreal Center for Advanced Research in Sleep Medicine. And he's written a book called When Brains Dream, which is really interesting in itself because it kind of breaks down what's going on in our minds when we're dreaming. He says, like you said, we should try and keep those dreams in our our mind and he really advises us to keep a dream journal because that's the best way of keeping track of them he says if you don't think if you think you don't dream you're wrong you just don't remember them so keep a dream journal but like you said there aren't those direct signs that we should be looking for you know they have those dream dictionaries of specific things that have popped up in your dream that you can go and refer to and figure out what they mean But he says we should take a much more personal approach like you do and approach them like art. You know, if we if you were to create a piece of art and then somebody said this only means this, it's like, no, actually, it means this to me, but it's going to mean something completely differently to you. So if you take like that, the teeth falling out dream, you know, that's probably going to mean one thing to you. It's going to mean another thing to another person and another thing to another person. We can't assume that all the signs in the dreams mean the same thing for each of us. We have to be a bit more introspective about it. And there's particular questions that we can ask ourselves that are going to get more uh, deep into this information. So we should ask ourselves about the people who are in the dream, uh, where it happens, and the overall emotion. And those certain things, particularly if you're using a journal, I think if you're writing this down, because I think it's even harder to lie to yourself when you're writing things down, right? Um, Those questions can be super useful in revealing how we truly think feel about things, particularly when those sides of our brain, you know, that we try and override that kind of ignore, like you say, the intuition are toned down. I think this is a massive tool. I'm definitely going to be using this for this year. And I, it's one I've way underestimated until now. I love the thought of just asking yourself those questions, particularly the one about how did you feel? Because so often I will start to talk about a dream and I know like hearing someone talk about their dream is a special kind of punish, but I will start to talk about a dream. (laughs) Like I'll be like, oh, this is what I dreamt last night. And as the words words are coming out, I'm losing them because it's fading, (laughs) you know, like it's like, oh, hang on. Was I running through a school or was it a field? Like I can't remember, but you do remember that feeling. So I love the thought of just like Mm -hmm. that little journal next to your bed and it's like, okay, this is how I felt. This is what I remember and capture it before it fades away because it does it just goes yeah and I think it's a really good tool a really good tool and so my last thing that I am bringing into 2024 which I'm absolutely doing which I started kind of towards the end of last year is not going online on the weekends and this has been a game changer because it's 
shortcutting that uh, habit of always reaching for my phone and scrolling on Instagram. I found on the weekends, if I don't go on my phone, I, I actually got the idea from a, a really cool uh, woman on Instagram. She's called Venetia Lamana. And she has, she posts about, um, fast fashion and eco-friendly fashion and that kind of thing. She's really cool. You should check her out. Um, but she does Offline 48 every weekend, and that's what she calls it. And she just she even ditches her phone at home, which I would love to do, but I just like my anxiety can't let me right now. I'm working on it. Baby but steps. what I found – yeah, thank you. Thank you, Kelly. But what I found is just ditching it for the weekend, my brain really slows down. I've started reading more and I think reading makes your brain slow down because you spend more time over an idea and you go back and you reread things and it's not triggered in the same way. And also a real old lady hobby I've picked up is cross-stitch because it's so repetitive and so mindful that I absolutely love it. And I find come Monday morning, I also like completely delete the apps because otherwise it's too tempting to go on there. But um, if you're trying to break a habit and you make it harder to get to the thing, your brain goes, ah, no, I can't be bothered. And I actually had that this weekend when I was like, oh, I should probably just check Instagram. And then I realized I deleted it. And so then I went to re-download it. And then in that time, I got distracted by something else. So I actually didn't go on it. So it's like, you know, that additional barrier can be really helpful. Um, And one of the things that prompted me to do this, I was listening to another podcast and um, this kind of comes full circle back to where we started. But Casey Neistat, the big uh, YouTuber, he was being interviewed uh, on a podcast. I, I think it was Rich Roll's podcast. And Rich Roll said to him, hey, I noticed that you don't really post on Twitter anymore. He was like, yeah, I've got a new rule. Every time I think, uh, oh, that would make a great tweet, I just don't tweet it. He was like, one of the things that I realized is that the people who are the best in the world at what they do, for example, um, Steven Spielberg, you won't hear for his of his name for like seven or eight years, right? And then he comes out with another incredible film, an absolute blockbuster that blows everyone away, that he's renowned for, that everyone's like, shit, he's really good at this. He doesn't spend his time like posting what he had for lunch or, you know, taking you around with him or, you know, doing anything on Instagram. He spends his time on what he's good at and he reckons that, social media is like this beast that's kind of sucked us in and um you know we feel like we constantly have to feed it but it's distracting us from our true purpose and what we're really good at and it's just stopping us from investing times it time in the things that we're really good at and really making them great which is absolutely what i am taking with me firmly into 2024 because I think that's really true and that's kind of taken us full circle to where we started yes I'm nodding along I love that concept of offline 48 I think that makes it really accessible it's like oh yeah that makes sense and when you frame it that way it's like well of course I should be able to go for two days without being on my phone and it's funny Edwina I used to delete Instagram for the weekends when my boys were little 
because I had this real thing about like, I don't want these toddlers to grow up thinking that it's normal to flip the phone on you and go, and now we're going for a walk and now we're doing this. Like I was like, I don't want my kid to think that's normal. And then as they've gotten older and they've understood it more and then also with sometimes them not being in my care for the weekends, you know, when they're with their dad or whatnot, I've fallen into that habit of having social media on my phone again for the weekends. But even just hearing you talk about it and then reflecting, oh, yeah, I used to do that when the boys were little because I didn't want them to think Mm. that was normal. I'm like, if I don't want my toddlers to think that's normal, why am I allowing it to be normal? Totally. And I think the things that you um, reach for or start to do instead of scrolling your phone, because like I I can easily spend an hour scrolling on Instagram. That's like an hour of your weekend that you get back that you actually get to enjoy. And whether that's like something else that you just sat relaxing, you know, you're doing a little bit cross stitch or, you know, you're reading like it's so much better for your brain. And I find that I go into the week feeling less impulsive around social media and I find it easier to not constantly be be picking up my phone because I find like offline 48 I log off in the evening on a Friday and then I don't log back on until Monday morning it acts like a circuit breaker for that habit right so I just don't continue the cycle it's been an absolute game changer for me so that's definitely one for 2024. And just to get into the weeds of it before you go do you still listen to Mm. podcasts over the weekend because this is what I do right like I will fill every silence by listening to podcasts yours included and I think to myself oh I could easily leave my phone at home I don't need my phone but then I'm like oh but I might want to listen to a podcast in the car or oh yeah I could leave my phone upstairs while I'm at home but I want to listen to a podcast while I'm washing the dishes but I know particularly given that my bread and butter is somewhat reliant on being I guess creative or those sorts of things I know it's better for me to have blank space but I don't want it yeah, 100%. So that's the other thing to ditching the social media and um, like taking back those moments where you do get bored or you do just sit and think about things. I think those are so important for creative people because you come up with your best idea, not when you're distracted, but like when you're sat waiting for your coffee, like just don't go on your phone when you're, you know, sat waiting for an appointment or, you know, you're, you're, you're by the door waiting for your partner to get ready. Like just sit in those moments and often your mind will take you to either solutions or things that are concerning you and it just again gives you that time to check back in with yourself and I'm like you because I was even listening to podcasts like in the shower and like you know everyone's like oh shower thoughts you know right yeah and I was like I really have to not be permanently entertained because great things happen in your brain when you're a bit bored yes It's so true. And it's one of those things that I swear by with the kids. Like I didn't allow them screens under the age of three. They've never had tablets for going out for dinner or in the car or at shops or anything. And I I credit that to the fact that we can stand in the lineup now and the kids can be patient and, you know, they're fine and all of those things. But yet I'm not following that on to myself as well. It's like I was so strict with them because it's like their brain is so important, but mine, I'm like, "Eh, it's mush anyway, like just load it up. (laughs) So it's so so true. Like I need to like mother myself a bit more. 
totally again it's that self-compassion like you have to understand that these things are really addictive you're not immune personally but also value yourself like you clearly value your boys enough not to let them do that so value yourself too and have that own that practice of self-care and that's what offline 48 has become for me is a practice of self-care and I really look forward to it you know um, I heard uh, the other day talking about social media. It's like uh, so um, – it was like a comparison between um, the food that is uh, – it, it, the food that you eat that's really, really tasty, that fills your um, like caloric needs, but doesn't fill your nutritional needs. There's no micronutrients. <laughs> Yes, yes. And so you'll eat that. You'll eat like the bag of chips or whatever it is. And then in like half an hour, you're hungry again, right? And so social media is like the entertainment equivalent of that. Like it fills your interest needs for a tiny amount of time, but then you need more. You want more. You want more. You want more. And in the same way, it's addictive because it never actually hits the right spot. It has that like dopamine injection and that promise of entertainment. you just left wanting more because it never actually hits that right spot yes and we spoke about this with food and I was thinking yes you as you were chatting about intuitive eating I remember hearing a food scientist talk about creating certain food products and I believe he was talking about creating like a cheese flavored chip or an orange flavored chocolate or something yeah yeah and he was saying like we have to make sure we don't put enough you know, we don't put too much orange flavor in because that would be too satisfying. You know, it would be too yes. close to eating an actual orange and people would stop. So we have to find that set point and go just below it to make sure it allows people to keep going. And it is the same engineering concept that social media has. And, you know, 100%. Just one more thought on that topic was recently I was speaking to a, um, another parent from the boys' school And I was saying, you know, I'm wondering if video games and those sorts of things uh, hamper children's ability to try harder things because it's easy on a video Mm. game to jump across a lake. It's easy to scale a building. You can't do that with ease in real life. And he said to me, this other parent said, yes. And you have to remember that a video game, and it's like this with social media, is engineered to give you a dopamine release or to, you know, flood your system with feel-good endorphins and hormones. And so say our kids are getting flooded with that at like a level 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10, you know, their brain is lighting up and it's feeling amazing. Then when they go outside and climb a tree and they only get a 3 out of 10 release, that totally impacting their ability to experience joy in other areas and it's so true Mm -hmm. for us as adults as well like we're getting that quick sugary fix on social media that feels like connection or inspiration but it's not really the deep satisfying stuff totally it's a hundred percent true and you know if you haven't tried this I really recommend it because I think you know it's tricky at the beginning but I think you're going to end up loving it and I really look forward to logging off my phone on a Friday night now if you know particularly because I don't work in an office it feels like I'm clocking off I love it that Friday feeling like ditch Instagram is so good I could talk to you for hours and at points during our conversation, I've forgotten that I have to talk because I'm like, no, no, this is my private podcast. She's speaking just to me. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but I know that we have to wrap it. But where can our listeners hear more from you? Because I know they're going to be hungry for more of your incredible voice. Yeah. So just find us at That's Helpful Pod. The mission is science-backed self-help. And if you just search for That's Helpful in any of your podcasting apps, you should be able to find it. Every episode will give you each episode will give you uh, something that you need to know to build your best life one episode at a time. And everything I've talked about, they are things that I have genuinely learned on the podcast. So if you're kind of into that self-improvement, but, you know, not too woo-woo and stuff that genuinely is going to help uh, and improve your life, but is from a, an, a side of self-compassion and kindness, you're going to love it. So please come and join me. I would absolutely love to have you here. Absolutely. And that's my recommendation for all of our listeners. Jump on over and hit follow or subscribe on the That's Helpful podcast. It will honestly make the year ahead so much more enjoyable. And as I'm sure that you've heard from our guest today, Edwina, you are going to have so many incredible takeaways. The links are in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. It's been such a joy as always. Before you run away, I just wanted to quickly let you know that we have opened up our subscriber episodes and we're giving you free access to these episodes for seven days. So if you want more from the podcast, if you want to go on a deeper dive in a specific topic, if you love food for thought solo episodes and you just want a little bit more this week, you can access those episodes for seven days for a completely free trial period. Have a look through the titles of the episode, see if there's anything that jumps out to you. And if you want more, simply click the link in the bio, sign up. You'll have all of those episodes plus the normal episodes completely ad free as well. I know that the podcasts I subscribe to, that's the thing I love the most. I love knowing that there's no ads that I have to skip because I often just have my AirPods in and I'm away from my phone and I don't want to have to worry about it. And it feels good to support podcasts that I love. So that seven day free trial is live right now for a very limited time only. And it's super simple to sign up. Simply follow the prompts. It will take you less than 10 seconds to subscribe for that free seven-day period. All of the details are in our show notes. Today's podcast episode was recorded on the land of the Bunjalung Nation. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.